His name, Danny O'Donnell. His <laughs> fitness level, swole, because of the performance. <laughs> Use our discount code, OpenGarCast25. My voice can't do that today, but we are joined <laughs> by a man who is fitness guru, jujitsu white belt, and Open Guard Cast's pick to win the adult male light featherweight white belt division at PANS this year. His name, Jordan Syatt. I'm Jake Watson, joined by Danny O'Donnell. Thank you so much for joining us, Jordan. Man, thanks for having me. I feel like I have a lot of pressure now to win at PANS. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I uh I know we didn't I didn't tell you I do that intro. Sometimes I like to surprise, you know what I mean? Uh, no, it's great. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we have a we're sponsored by um Electric Performance, which is a workout brand uh, based out of San Diego. Workout brand. It is a strength and conditioning program that uh is is one of the most prominent in the jiu-jitsu community and is run by Alex Turner and uh, they're they're great. So we thank them every episode, but we have a lot of um passion for that side of jiu-jitsu as well and we know that man, I'm looking at your Instagram right now you know not as many followers as us no big deal but uh, <laughs> but you have so like a wealth of information and uh, it's kind of nice we're white belts in that and you are a white belt in jiu-jitsu so we kind of have that that nice dynamic yeah no I, i'm stoked to be here i i would say i'm i'm definitely i'm, I'm a white belt in jiu-jitsu you're the black belt in jiu-jitsu I, I call myself a black belt in social media content and uh, if i can help with social media for you then i'm happy to oh and a 27th degree black belt in chugging coffee that was a newly promoted <laughs> belt ranking, so I'm very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, belt. Okay, but I have to ask though: Are is it is it black coffee or do you put? Do no, you it's black add, coffee. It's black dang, coffee. Okay, that's, then you're a, you're a very scary person. All of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> staring death in the face every day. Uh, black coffee chugging. and four stripe white belt. Very scary individual. <laughs> Shoot, dude. <laughs> I I'm more scared of. Yeah, okay. That's uh, I can't chug black coffee. I can't even sip it. So <laughs> awesome. So so I first got introduced to you and your content through a video you did with Bernardo Faria, and it was just yeah. like talking about uh, like fat loss, and it was I think it was a BJJ Fanatics product. Yep. I just thought it was really cool, and so I just kind of started digging into to more of your content. So just want to start by talking like a little bit about your background in fitness and nutrition. Yeah. So um. I started with wrestling. So I started wrestling when I was eight years old. And uh, I remember my, I have an older brother. He's about three years older than me. And my mom, he, he was getting like picked on in school. My mom was like, all right, I want you two to wrestle. And when I was eight, the only wrestling I knew of was WWE. So I remember I, I asked my mom, I was like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? And she was like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style wrestling. So I, I started doing that and I was obsessed with it. Like I absolutely loved it. Um, I ended up making varsity as a freshman, so I beat a junior out for the varsity spot, but I had to cut a lot of weight, so I was cutting from 112 to 103, and um, I was good technique-wise and endurance-wise, but since I was 14 years old going up against juniors and seniors, like I didn't have the strength, so I had to figure out, all right, how am I going to cut weight and also get stronger in order to actually be competitive here, and so there was a, gym, a kettlebell gym a couple towns over from me, and I just shot him an email. I was like, hey, could I come and, you know, sweep the floors and take the trash out, just learn from you how to strength train. And they took me under their wing. They were very science-based. And that's how I got into the fitness industry. I was obsessed with strength and conditioning. I wrestled all the way through college, or all the way through high school, sorry, not college. Uh, and then by the time college came around, I really got into competitive powerlifting. So I trained at Westside Barbell, did that for about five, six years. And uh, the my claim to fame with powerlifting is I deadlifted four times my body weight. So I deadlifted 530 at 132. Crazy. And uh, 
and then yeah and then that was it that was my life for many years and then i took the last few years away just really focusing on my business i got fat and out of shape which is ironic because i'm in fitness industry <laughs> and uh and then about a year a little over a year ago i joined henzo gracie academy in in manhattan and i've been training there and i'm absolutely obsessed with it so i love it wow that's a really awesome story and you're you're this is really interesting because we know the the Blue Basement and the Hansel Gracie Academy down there in Manhattan to be the home of Gordon Ryan, Gary Tonin, Ethan Krenlinston, Nikki Ryan. Uh, do you have like um, – have you helped them with their strength conditioning training at all or offered them? Like have you had any kind of advice back and forth with them? No. So I've spoken with Nikki a little bit on Instagram. I've Gordon used to train at the gym that I used to train at before coronavirus. So I used to see him working out all the time. Uh, some of the the lower belts in the junior squad I've been working with and helping them with, with their strength and conditioning. But I mean, for me, when I go in there, I don't ever want to come across as though like, Hey, I know better at all. So I really try and just stay quiet and, and just learn from the people there. And if they, if they ended up following me, like Gordon followed me and Nikki followed me and a bunch of the guys followed me. And so, so if they know if they need anything, I'd be happy to help. But the last thing I would ever want to do is like, make it seem like I know better because I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't. And, and as you know, like Strength and conditioning is important for jujitsu, but the most important thing for jujitsu for jujitsu is jujitsu. So yeah. like they just train unbelievably hard, and that's really what they know best. Yeah, this is a very humble approach. I, I, that's more of what I meant. Was like if that had transpired, not I didn't want to. Uh, you know, you're very humble, and that's that's good to see. But uh, I didn't mean it like that. No, 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 yeah, I totally understand. For for me, it's just when I go in there, it, every time I go in the doors, I'm scared shitless. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just like every single every single day, I'm scared shitless walking around with those guys, and they're all super nice and very generous mm -hmm. and, and really kind. Like Gary is one of the nicest guys we've interacted a few times. Um, but yeah, if they ever ask, I'm more than happy to help. I'm just never gonna be like, hey, I could make your jujitsu better with some deadlifts. Or just like, it's not. <laughs> yeah, so, no. So some of the content that you put out that I think is is really interesting is like nutrition based. You talk a lot about like consistency and like how that's one of the most important things. And I feel like, like you mentioned, you have a wrestling background and I feel like in wrestling and jujitsu, there's like a lot of bad habits, like nutrition wise. Mm. So have you, can you talk a little bit about like your experience with the nutrition? Um, I don't know, I guess like knowledge in the wrestling community and jujitsu and like some of the bad habits that you notice? Yeah. I mean, from firsthand experience, I had serious disordered eating habits from cutting weight all through high school. Uh, it, it's interesting because binge eating is something that is very common, especially like when you're cutting weight and, and especially with, with wrestling, when you have a whole season and you have meats yeah. after meats, after meats, after meats, after meats, like it's basically you cut weight, whether it's like you, you fast, you barely eat, then you cut your water weight. Then after weigh-ins, you eat as much as you possibly can. And then two or three days later, you have to do it all over again. And you do that for years. So I struggled with it, but the interesting part was I never knew it was a problem because the entire wrestling team was doing it. Like, <laughs> I didn't think it was weird. Like, my my whole, like, family and friends were like, why are you doing this? But as a team, we would literally binge eat together. So, I mean, I was young, and I had no idea. Um, it wasn't until I got to college and was competitively powerlifting, and I realized that I couldn't enjoy food at the dining hall appropriately like everyone else that I was like, oh man, this is this is an issue. And and I've seen it with other wrestlers. I haven't I, I don't think I've been in the jujitsu community long enough to really see it as much. And I think just based on on from what I've seen in jujitsu, and I could be wrong with this, that generally competitions seem to be spaced out pretty well where 
Yeah. Most people aren't competing like every week or every month. Like they tend to wait at least like two or three months between competitions. Um, so I, I'm sure it exists in a similar fashion. But yeah, a, a, a lot of binge eating, a lot of anorexia, um, and some disordered habits related to food for sure. Jake, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in jiu-jitsu there's a lot of like people maybe attempting to do some sort of like periodization, but what they end up doing is really just eating what they want when they don't have a tournament coming up and then just kind of cutting everything out like a few weeks before. <laughs> Would you, you know agree what? with that, Jake? It is so crazy that you just asked me how I feel about this because I literally was hearing what Jordan was saying and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I might have an eating disorder <laughs> because I, um, I, I struggle with this all the time where like if a tournament's coming up, I'll suddenly feel, oh no, how am I eating? And then when I'm not like training for a tournament, sometimes I won't even eat breakfast or I won't even eat lunch or like I won't even eat and I don't even think about it. I, and I know what's sad is I know how important it is. Like it's like it's in my head. I know how important it is, but I have a hard time. I think something that happened for me, I've been competing actively since I was like eight years old and uh, up until I was 16, uh, it was just kind of pushed on by everybody around me to cut weight. So there was one tournament uh, I competed in like California when I was 14 years old. I cut from 130 to 114 in two days and I was 14. Shit. I took an Epsom salt bath and I covered myself with Albaline. I did like what UFC fighters do. I was 14 years <laughs> old and I did this like a lot. Like I did this, this not a one time thing. I did this from like from like. 13 until i was 16 was and this, then eventually this, my was this, this was for jiu this was uh, also for pancreation which is like amateur intermediate mma so i was doing i was doing indian reservation mma fights boxing <laughs> fights muay thai fights uh jiu-jitsu tournaments like all the time i would compete sometimes like 24 times a year one time and i was just cutting weight all the time and i thought it was normal as well and now that i'm trying to gain weight it is like it feels impossible and i always wondered like why it was so hard i should just do it but I'm glad that now I have like a an object to attack it from because I feel like a lot of people probably feel this way. It's something I struggle with horribly. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think it's probably much more prevalent than than many people realize. Yeah, I'm glad you told me because <laughs> <laughs> now I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I wanted to ask you too, like, what do you think is like? Because I noticed that a lot of people in jiu-jitsu, they kind of their weight fluctuates a lot. They'll balloon up when they're not getting ready for a competition so like i'm sure you know this but a lot of times with a lot of the major tournaments you weigh in almost like right before you compete yep. so you have like maybe 20 minutes at the most but do you think there's like kind of an ideal like range to to maintain um like year round if you're not competing just so you don't have to like drop so much like the weeks leading yeah. up to a tournament so just from like my own personal experience either cutting weight for pans right now or uh, even sort of watching what the other competitors are doing at Henzo's. Um, it's been interesting to see because, I mean, a lot, a lot of them have done literally exactly what you just said, where, like, they've, mm -hmm. they were really big, and now, like, about four weeks out, they're like, I've got, like, 25 pounds to cut. I'm yeah. like, damn. <laughs> like, that's a lot. That's a very significant amount of weight to cut. Yeah. Uh, and usually what they're doing is, like, they'll be like, I'm cutting out all sugar. I'm cutting out all this. I'm cutting out all bread. I'm cutting out – and they, like, cut out everything. And then within a week or two, their training goes to shit. They're super tired. Like, they don't want to be coming in. And uh, for me, that's not the – from what I can tell, it's not the optimal way, way to train for a competition. Like, from what I've been told, it's, like, the last four weeks leading up to it, you go really hard. You start really getting your rounds in. You get your competition training in, which is different than normal every day-to-day -day training. Um so, I mean, for me, what I've, what I've been doing for PANS, I'll just speak from personal experience, is I 
I've reduced my calorie intake to just enough to where like, I'm only going to have like a one or two pound water cut. And I'm totally fine with that. Like one or two pounds is not difficult at all. I very, I did that for wrestling, did that for, for powerlifting, but I want to limit how much water I have to cut because even a slight amount of dehydration can radically, even just 3% dehydration can radically, uh, can, can radically hurt your performance. Right. So and especially in these types of tournaments where you weigh in and you almost immediately compete right afterwards, you don't have yeah. much time to rehydrate. Whereas if you have a 24 hour weigh in, it's a significant advantage, but not if you're, if you're competing within five, 10, 15 minutes. Um, so for me, I would, I think the best bet here is to look at it about 16 weeks out. Like you should ideally look, be looking at your competitions about 16 weeks out rather than four weeks out or two weeks out, whatever it is. And then I would try and stay within a range of like, no more than 10 to 15 pounds away because if you have 16 weeks out then that's an average of one pound a week you're 16 pounds down like oh, an average of one pound a week weight loss is very sustainable it's very easy to do it's not that difficult with a slight calorie deficit but if you wait to four weeks out and you have 16 pounds to lose now you essentially have to double that almost double it which like that's a significant calorie deficit and with that performance drops mood drops energy drops and you have to be more strict with your diet you can eat a Big Mac a day and lose. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. I don't know why I heard that. But. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's pretty much the longest like I've ever heard of someone saying to start their their weight cut or their diet before a tournament. I think that's that's really good, and um, I, I definitely think someone could like maintain their level of performance and training as well, and keep making like technical and you know strategic adjustments throughout. Whereas like if someone's cutting ten pounds in the last two weeks. Like you said, their training really goes to shit, and it becomes people, almost just like a like a weight cut week or whatever. A lot of people have this skewed perception of fat loss, weight loss, where they think in order to lose fat, you should be eating as little as possible. But that's not the best way to go about it from a performance perspective. If you want to keep your performance high, you should be eating as much as possible while still losing fat. So a lot of people, they'll cut out everything, cut out carbs, cut out sugar, cut out alcohol, and it's like, I'm not a big drinker, so I don't worry if you cut out alcohol, great. But like... I'm more concerned about if you completely cut out carbs, but you usually function on carbs in your training, then how in the hell are you going to perform at your best when you have, you're completely depleted and you're also cutting water weight potentially as well. So when you're trying to lose weight, it, people often, the way they tend to do it is so extreme that they see a performance drop and they might hear 16 weeks and be like, I'm going to have my performance drop for 16 weeks. It's like, that's not how it works. If you're doing it properly for those 16 weeks, it's like it, you should feel totally fine. It's just a very slight difference in your nutrition, just being a little bit more on track with your calories so that you still have enough energy, still getting your carbs in. And then by the time competition comes up, you don't have to do anything drastic. Yeah. I feel like other sports are so far ahead. Like like MMA even. Like you see these fighters like Paulo Costa who's fighting this coming weekend. Yeah. That yeah. guy cuts from like 220 to 185 <laughs> and he still sustains cardio. Like he looks like he's fine in the third round. And yeah. you're like, dude, this guy's a, a giant muscle man. And how is he able to do that? I feel like it has a lot to do with everything you're saying right now. That's exactly right. I mean, if if they have a fight on like some of the fighters they'll have like a 10 day notice, which is like, okay, well then it makes it even more important that you're very close to your weight. But like, yeah, if, if you have 16, 20, 20 plus weeks to know in advance, then you can do it so gradually that your performance should improve over that time frame. It should not decrease. Yeah. Yeah. I think like Jake was saying, like other sports are a lot more professional and there are some jujitsu people like Jake 
head nutritionist. I think he still works with one and my coach has one. So some people do it right. But I think overall, there's most people have that that mindset where they're just like trying to save everything till the last minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that it's sort of human nature, right? Like people tend to do this with everything with whether it's yeah. homework assignments, work assignments, like we tend to procrastinate on stuff. And it's, it's almost easier to do that in a sense of like, listen, would you rather be on track with your diet for 16 weeks? Or what if you could do it all in two weeks? It's like, well, it's sort of like, I'd rather maybe just do it all in two weeks. And then I don't have to worry about keeping track of my calories over the next like three months. But mm -hmm. if you're really serious about keeping a high level of performance on the competition day, it would make more sense to be more strategic and planned with it. Yeah. Acclimate yourself to it. And definitely, um, this is like a big lecture for, for <laughs> no it's great it's honestly like i'm i because i this is something i struggle with danny brought up that i that i work with a nutritionist i don't anymore but uh natalia chandri is uh this very very nice brazilian lady who's a very good nutritionist and works with marcio andre as well correct danny yep. yeah yeah marcio andre is danny's coach and uh he's an amazing black belt competitor you might have heard of him um but uh i i noticed that like a lot of like her inspiration is from Brazilian cuisine. You know what I mean? So I'm like eating like acai and stuff like that. I'm like, I, I don't, this is not exactly something I'm going to find it. Like the nice, like the, Hey, just walking to Walmart. Oh, look, acai. Like, you know what I mean? Um, and I, now I drink kombucha, which I, what's your opinion on kombucha real quick? I love kombucha. I've got a whole fridge of it behind me. Yeah. I love it. I like this one, the health aid kombucha. Yeah. That's I think great. That one's pretty sick. Um, yeah. And I have B propolis in it. You see, like I don't know what this stuff is. I'm just going to stores <laughs> from the lady, and uh, she and she's great. She's honestly she's fantastic. Um, one thing I noticed is I function really really well off of carbs, like a lot mm. of carbs. And and I want to get your opinion, um, on this because a lot of people say pasta, for instance, yep, is not good. Like it's a huge trope. I feel like a lot of people say you shouldn't eat so much pasta. But man, I love pasta, and I feel good when I eat pasta. So what is like something you could say to people who like who are those type of people who are like, ah, it's only one way to do things. Do you think that it really is that broad? Like you just got to find out what works for you. Am I allowed to swear at all or no? Yes. You are. All right. Um, <laughs> I absolutely fucking hate it when people come in being like, well, this is bad for you. You can't do this. It's like, number one, you definitely have to find what works best for you. Number two is a lot of people just put random things out there without knowing what the fuck they're talking about in terms of nutrition. Or I'm sure you hear people on YouTube putting out jujitsu content and you're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Like <laughs> this move would never work in competition. He's just doing this for views, right? It's like the same thing happens with nutrition all the time. Um, right now there's a huge, huge, huge craze around keto and like the low carb, no carb, which is we could, I mean, fat loss and performance are two separate discussions, but if we're going to talk about performance, low carb, no carb is arguably the single fucking dumbest thing you could ever do. Like the, the amount of research showing the benefits of moderate to high carbohydrate intake for performance is, is staggering to say the least. It is, it's, pretty tremendously ignorant when I hear people talk about, oh, well, you should be doing keto for performance. For fat loss, it's equally stupid, but for different reasons. Um, so yeah, if, if you love pasta, I would say go for it. If you feel like you perform really well eating pasta, then absolutely go for it. Um, if you're having trouble making weight while eating pasta, then just make your portion size of pasta smaller. Maybe don't have like 
a barrel full of pasta and just have a normal plate size portion of pasta. But either way, like you can still have it and lose weight. And also it's probably going to help improve your performance. It's, it's funny because a lot of people talk about like, oh, you shouldn't eat carbs. And like the easiest go-to example is Michael Phelps. Just like you look yeah, at his yeah. meals, just like an outrageous amount of carbohydrates. All carbs. Like, yeah, it's all carbs and pancakes and all this stuff. It's like, no, no, no. You, you have to find what works best for you. And based on different food intolerances and preferences. And you also mentioned uh, even different types of cuisine based on where you live different cultures like it's going to affect what you have available to you and what you enjoy so finding what works best for you but i mean realistically what's acai it's a big bowl of carbs that's really all it is yeah that's true that's That's very interesting i actually uh i wanted to tell danny about this he doesn't really have a choice but we're actually doing the michael phelps diet challenge we're gonna make a video (laughs) on youtube um i saw i I know exactly what he eats it's all ridiculous i don't know if i can my heart can handle that many energy drinks but he can (laughs) so i gotta be able to um but uh one thing you touched on so essentially what you just said is that keto is ineffective keto is a big craze and you shouldn't do keto i don't want to say that because there are some people so for example if if you struggle with epilepsy a ketogenic diet can actually be very helpful for that there's a a significant amount of research showing it can help with epilepsy Mm -hmm. there are a, a very small percentage of people who enjoy keto which is like great for them but the vast majority of people actually really enjoy carbohydrates. So I don't see why in the hell someone who enjoys carbohydrates would do a diet that essentially eliminates carbohydrates. It doesn't seem very sustainable to me. And my whole goal is not to get you to do a diet that you can do for a week or a month, but I want to get you on a nutrition protocol that you can adhere to forever and also improve your performance and that you can actually enjoy. So for 98% of people, I think keto is really fucking stupid. Yeah, okay. I think I think in jujitsu it's kind of interesting too because like we were talking about before it's a new sport and it kind of came up with the internet so a lot of jujitsu people are like seeing these like Joe Rogan or whatever talking about keto and fasting and you know the carnivore diet and people are always <laughs> jumping on like these new bandwagons and new trends. Yep. So do you have any advice for people who like maybe, I mean it's probably pretty obvious like just come up with something that works for you but like I feel like people jump from like diet to diet a lot and they're always like, like they don't have something that's really sustainable. They're just kind of going with whatever the new trend is. Yeah, I mean, well, it, to bring up Joe Rogan and the carnivore diet, he even said he was like, I can't do this forever, but maybe here and there I'll do it for like 30 days. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, so let's talk about this. Do you want to do a diet that you can only do for 30 days? Cuz what's going to happen? You're going to lose a lot of weight. And then as soon as you start not doing that diet, you go back to what you're doing. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to regain all the weight back. Like, yeah, it's, it's very logical. So then you have to ask yourself, OK, do I want to do something where I'm going to lose all the weight and then regain it all back? Not to mention carnivore diet, unbelievable diarrhea, like the most uncomfortable <laughs> satanic shit. I did a 14 day <laughs> like absolutely awful because it was a huge craze. And I was like, yeah. you know, what? I'm gonna make a YouTube video about it. So I did the carnivore diet for 14 days. And literally my asshole have never has never burned so bad <laughs> in my entire life. Sounds um, terrible. And oh it, my god! The vast majority of the weight you lose is mainly just from water because you're not eating any carbs. It, like, let's just think about how stupid this diet is. No <laughs> beans, no lentils, no nuts, no vegetables, no fruits. All you can eat is meat and fish, and and like even then they're like, yeah, ideally you really just want to stick with meat. Some of the <laughs> proponents of of carnivore are like, yeah, you don't want to have vegetables because vegetables they have these toxins inside it that it, sometimes vegetables will kill insects or animals that eat it. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, and there are doctors who say this. So all common sense goes out the window. So for me, if you want to find a diet that works for you, you have to be able to number one, eat, uh, eat the foods you enjoy. 
right? Now, that doesn't mean eat like an asshole and eat your favorite foods in whatever quantity you want all day, every day, but it does mean, I would say, track your calories. Be aware of how many calories you're eating on a consistent basis and try and fit your favorite foods in there. I'd say try and have one salad every day. Stay hydrated as often as possible. Make sure every meal has some source of protein on that plate, whether it's chicken or turkey or fish or meat or yogurt, cottage cheese, tofu, I don't care. Make sure you have protein on at every plate at every meal. And if you're in your calories and you're getting protein at every meal, like you really can't fuck it up. Yeah, you, you've mentioned that in a lot of the the content you put out, and I feel like it's like you said, it's almost impossible to screw up if you're getting enough protein and you're tracking your calories and you're in like either a maintenance or a fat loss phase. Like you can't, re- yeah. there's not really much wiggle room to to go wrong. It's exactly yeah. right. This is so funny. My lower intestine performed an exorcism on the carnivore <laughs> diet. Man, that's that's it's interesting to hear your take. So. Uh, one thing I noticed is um, you said you went on the diet. Do you go – like whenever you hear about a new diet that comes up, do you go on it and test it? Like and like, okay, I'm going to go on this for a little bit of time to see if it's if, – to see if it works. So do you do that like and put yourself in there? I don't do it with every single diet. But so I've been a coach for uh, like 15 years mm-hmm. and I've been making content since 2011. And I've realized that it's one thing for me to tell people the science – for me to explain why this works or why this doesn't work. It's another thing for me to show people. So I was getting a lot of questions about the carnivore diet. So I was like, you know what, rather than me just saying, Hey, this is really stupid. How about I just vlog 14 days of me doing this diet and then show you what actually happens to me. And people loved it. They thought it was great. It was the same thing when I did the big Mac challenge. I got so many people asked me about supersize me and my thoughts on that documentary. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to make an intelligent version of that film and show people what is actually possible and what's realistic. And, uh, people have, have responded very well to me showing them what happens. When you actually do it versus just telling them. My gosh, I can't imagine. I have, I have McDonald's and I feel like I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> You have the same response as Jordan has to the carnivore diet? <laughs> no, not that I want to kill someone else, but that I uh, want to kill myself. But um, so, okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> let's talk about that. Oh, I just have a question. So how long ago did you do that? The, the 30 days on McDonald's? It was literally, I think, one year ago today was my last day. Really? Oh, that's pretty ironic. But uh, <laughs> so you did you eat only McDonald's or was it because I'm not familiar no. yet? Okay, so you you ate yeah. a certain amount of McDonald's a day. So so for 30 days straight, I ate one Big Mac a day every day, but that wasn't all I ate. Mm-hmm. I just made sure to eat one Big Mac a day every single day for 30 days, and then I ate my normal diet. But okay. the whole purpose was to show people that uh, what happened – this was mainly for fat loss and for de- developing a healthy relationship with food, right? A lot of people like have been told that – there are good foods and bad foods that like, you shouldn't eat this. You should only eat that. And that like, if you have one bad food, then you ruined your progress. And so for me, I wanted to show like, listen, I don't care if you eat McDonald's or Big Macs, it doesn't bother me. But if you go have a slice of pizza at your daughter's birthday party, I don't want you to think you fucked up. Like it, you didn't screw anything up. If you have a slice of cake at your nephew's graduation ceremony, there's no reason for you to feel guilty or shameful about it. Just get right back on track. So for 30 days, I ate one Big Mac a day every day, mainly just because McDonald's and Big Mac specifically have this stigma around it, like mentally in a lot of people's heads. They're like, oh, that's the worst food. It's Twinkies and McDonald's are like the two worst things people can come up with. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have a Big Mac every single day and show people that I can lose weight sustainably and enjoyably. And I lost seven pounds over the course of that month while having a Big Mac every single day. 
and it was again just to show people like you can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation and still lose fat okay well so yeah so supersize me was a little extreme then yeah supersize me was awful i i hated that though. it was terrible <laughs> yeah, it was that was definitely hard to watch. I had to watch that for a freaking like English project. It was like yeah, in every class. High school shows it. Yeah, it's Why? one of the. I think the thing that bothers me the most about, and there's a lot of things that bother me, is every single time they offered to supersize his meal, he he was required to say yes by his own rules. He was like, if they ask me to supersize it, I have to say yes. And the whole time I'm like, you're a fucking adult. Why can't you just say no, thanks? <laughs> Like I, you're you're painting out McDonald's to be this evil corporation that like is trying to like make everyone fat and it's like how about personal responsibility? How about if someone asks you do you want this you can say no thanks I'm good I'm just gonna have that. It's like it was so odd to me that they really they, that was the name of the movie Supersize Me and every time they asked me it was like oh yeah I have to and he was like yeah by the end of the month they asked me 22 times of course they asked you 22 times they make more money off of it and you're mm -hmm. an adult and you could say no thanks I'm just gonna stick with the regular size because I'm trying not to gain fat like in a roundabout way he was kind of trying to gain fat though he like, absolutely in a way he if he was going roundabout. to accomplish his goal I commend. <laughs> I said, you know what, dude, way to stick to your guns. <laughs> Just it, on like the second day, he ate so much that he threw up. And he was like, I have to finish it. I was like, I have to. And he kept throwing up. I was like, dude, this isn't real life. This is complete. <laughs> and then not only that, then he, he was like, I'm going to stop walking. He stopped walking. He stopped exercising for the entire month. He stopped movement as much as possible. And he was like, I'm trying to mimic the average American lifestyle. I'm like, the average American doesn't eat McDonald's three times a day, and they're not required to say yes to supersize me. It's like this was a completely narrative-driven film that was only done to try and get clicks. And to, to be fair, he's a genius. Like, that film is one of the most famous ever made. But, like, it was very, very misleading. That was my favorite part of the YouTube video that you put together was talking about how we just gave up exercise and he basically did did had no physical activity. Like, of course you're gonna gain fat. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You went from like several thousand steps a day to less than a few hundred. Like, of course, you idiot. And then then he was like, I have to get everything on the menu at least once, which is like, cool, fine. He would get like trash can sized regular Cokes every single time you went. I'm like, there's water in the fridge. Just ask for water. You don't have to get the regular Coke or get a diet Coke for fuck's sake. Like, why do you have to keep getting the things that are most calorie dense? Of course you're going to gain 26 pounds by the end of this thing. <laughs> it's funny, I love but... how much you hate this movie. I like, <laughs> like my favorite my favorite part of any interview we've ever done is just how much you hate Super <laughs> It's just like I'm a science guy and I, I try and be as objective as I can. It's like if you're if you're going to try and create something to help people, at least do your best to be honest about it. For sure. Yeah, no, that's a <laughs> it's not hard to agree with. <laughs> it's definitely not hard to agree with. Man. I, that's that's so funny. That's so funny. And you know what? I, like when I watched that movie, I never even thought about those things. Cause I'm in high school, you know. Right. I mean? And I, you know what's funny is every time I uh, every time when when I stumble into a McDonald's drive-through, I uh, <laughs> you know, oh, whoa, how did I get here? Yeah. I just order something. I uh, I I never. I always think like, gosh, man, like God, God's frowning on me right now. Like that's kind of how I think. You know, like this is not good. I shouldn't be here. Why am I here? And then I'm eating. I'm like, Ugh. so I, I also, we've also spoken 
too. Like I said, where uh, Alex Sterner, he he like very preliminarily, I guess I would say if that's hope, hopefully that's a word. Um, it's like yes, you can't like moderation is very important. Um, of all the diets that you've tried, I don't know how many diets you've like put yourself through and tried. Would you say the carnivore diet is the one that's that's probably the most harmful to your body? Is there one that's currently mainstream right now that is like people need to stop doing? I, I mean, I would say the carnivore diet is probably the, the worst for so many reasons. Um, I would say, like, equally bad are probably a lot of the, like, the juice cleanses or detoxes. The only reason I would say those aren't as bad is because no one is advertising those, like, as a forever thing. They're usually, like, seven days, 21 days, and it's just a marketing scheme. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to detox. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, what are you detoxing? Like, what specifically are you detoxing? Can you? T- they're like, oh, all the toxins in your body. I'm like, can you name one of them? What toxins are you taking out of your body? Like, oh, you know, just all of them. I'm like, which ones? Name one of them. Uh, all of them. I'm like, God damn it. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, all you need to detox your body is your liver. Like, you have a liver and kidneys for a reason. And they're like, this is one of the favorite conversations I have. People are like, oh, really? So, like, if someone, uh, if someone, uh, if their liver isn't working properly, you wouldn't tell them to do a detox. I'm like, if someone's liver isn't working properly, I'm going to tell them to go to a fucking doctor. I'm not going to tell them to drink this diarrhea tea that you got <laughs> off Instagram. Like, what is wrong with you? So, like, that stuff is stupid as well. But I think from the carnivore diet, they're preaching it as like a lifestyle. Like, yes, like plants are bad. Nuts are bad. Seeds are bad. Legumes are bad. I'm like, you're you're absolutely idiotic in every sense of the word. I get really passionate about this. <laughs> I love it. It's like I can't even ask my next question because I'm thinking so hard about diarrhea tea and how funny <laughs> hear you say. Um, okay, but switching gears a little bit. I know Danny wanted to ask this, so I'm going to let Danny ask it about, uh, you know, you said that you wanted to uh, talk a little more about Brazilian jiu-jitsu and start to, like, incorporate that into some of the stuff that, I mean, like, you have an awesome following and you're, you're doing a lot of awesome work. Obviously, I can tell how passionate you are. We need more people like that in the world, by the way. But I'm going to let Danny take it away with uh, with this question. I feel like I've been hogging the mic laughing so much. <laughs> no, you're good. But uh, I think you have, like, a super interesting background, like, doing the powerlifting with, with Louis Simmons and, and your wrestling background and then training Gary Vee and stuff. So, like, you've always, like, kind of put yourself into, like, the highest level of either coaching or lifting or whatever sport you're doing. So do you feel like there's anything um, from those, like, areas of your life that you've brought into jiu-jitsu that's really helped you? I think – yeah, it's a great question, and I think uh, I, one of the things I love about jiu-jitsu is the the belt system, and I know it's a big controversy in jiu-jitsu. Some people hate it. Some people love it. Like, I really like it, and I, I like – for me, anytime, whether it's going to, to Westside Barbell or going to – there's a gym called Cressy Sports Performance that I went to. They're big in the Major League Baseball world. Uh, everywhere I've gone, I've gone in with the attitude that I'm a white belt, essentially, where it's like I know nothing. And one, as my audience has grown – there have been people who, you know, they'll try and suck up or like treat me in a different way than like if they, they didn't know that I had a big audience and I, I've never liked that. And so I like going into Henzo's and being treated like a white belt. Like it doesn't matter how many followers I have. It doesn't matter anything. It's like, hey, like, you know, nothing. And I'm very excited to be in a position in which someone else can teach me something and I am just a complete and utter beginner and I know nothing about it. And I'm going to give you all of the responsibility to teach me and and that's it. And I'm completely ignorant to this. And I like that a lot because it allows me 
to learn the absolute most I possibly can. Like I have zero ego with any of it. I like being told when I'm doing something wrong. I don't like people like sort of pussyfooting and being like, oh, that was great when it wasn't great. Like earlier today, I was fucking up a knee slice pass. I like, kept putting my, my arm on the wrong side and they like had a, like, I could tell that they didn't want to say anything. I was like, no, no, like tell me what am I doing wrong? Then they, they went into a whole big detail about exactly what I did wrong and I love it. Like I really like knowing when I'm when I'm not doing what I should be doing. So I think probably one of the best things I've taken from it is the ability just to completely put my ego at the door and just learn as much as I possibly can from people who are better than me. Yeah, I think that's like something that I know Jake's coach talks about it and my coach talks about it every day. Like coming into class, no matter what belt you are, no matter how much experience you have, like with an empty cup, like just being willing mm -hmm. to come in and absorb whatever's being taught and just kind of leave your preconceived notions like at the door. So yeah, that's definitely like one of my favorite parts of jujitsu too. And it's been a huge learning. It's a huge learning experience for me too. I like I started jujitsu when I was very young, so uh, I was like 12. And over the last decade of jujitsu, I've I, I used to be like, if I would win something, I would think, oh, I know stuff. But then <laughs> I'll talk to another human being who knows so much more than me. Sometimes even more by a long shot then what I know best, which is jujitsu, like a purple belt showing me stuff. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, hold on, slow down. You know what I mean? I've been to gyms and like how uh, Carlos Grace to make it. Like guy showed me like an arm bar setup, And I was like, that's awesome. Like, that's really, really cool. He's like, you never seen that. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but that's, I think one thing that's beautiful about jujitsu is it reminds you that your intelligence is as beautiful where your intelligence lies, but you also need to be willing to be open to other places. Like a good greatest guard in the world may not know how to pass the guard as well as someone else. And you're both doing jujitsu. Same in same instance, like I learned a lot about this podcast from Danny. And the same way you are open to other members of the fitness industry, other people who know nutrition. That, that's like if you if you ever look tunnel vision, like boom, I know everything, then that's how you stop improving. And I 100%. think that that's very it's very beautiful that jujitsu literally personifies that every single day. I mean Let's be honest. Raise your hand if you've been tapped out by a belt four under you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've been tapped out by a blue belt, and I'm like, well, shoot. That's a, <laughs> that, that's a reminder that that could happen, you know? So it's it's really a beautiful every single day. You come in with an empty cup. You make sure you hold the lid so you don't lose anything, and you take it home. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. Mm -hmm. And you're at a great academy to do it. Henzo is, uh, Henzo is a lot – from what I've seen – a very, very, very passionate human being. And uh, my, my coach talks very affectionately of Henzo Gracie. Um, you know, he'll go to the Gracie meeting in uh, San Diego uh, every, I think it's like every, every year, every two years. And he'll like, he'll be the last, the first guy in and the very last guy to leave. Because if anybody asks a question that requires however long it takes for him to answer that question, it could be four hours. He's going to answer the question the best he can. And I think that's, yeah. that's so admirable to me. So. I, I love it. I feel very blessed to uh, to be at this academy. Actually, it's it's the reason I'm still in New York. Mm -hmm. Like we, I would actually, I'd love to move back to Israel, or uh, we're looking at moving somewhere else. And the only reason I'm here is just because I love this academy so much. And uh, I've been all over the country. Like I, I travel a fair amount for work before coronavirus, and I've been to other academies, and it's consistently like the the passion that all of the instructors have. How like unbelievably diligent they are with progressions every week like it's it's nothing like i've seen anywhere else so i feel very lucky to be there mm -hmm. it's very curriculum based too huh very yeah yeah they're very curriculum based you can tell that 
all the instructors are on the same page that like they know what they're teaching at that certain time, what movements, what progressions, um, class starts at the same time every single day. Like they're not just shitting around. Like one of the things I like about martial arts in general, is I did Taekwondo a little bit and then wrestling and then jujitsu is there's, there's so like when you walk through the door, whether you're talking to like some of the highest level fighters or you're talking to a brand new white belt, there's an unbelievable amount of respect and, and, uh, humility shown between everybody everyone's shaking hands and bowing to each other like it's really nice to see especially like when i go outside in new york and then people are just huge assholes right outside that door but it's like it's so nice to see you're around some of the most savage warriors in the world and they're also some of the nicest most humble human beings for sure is there anything in particular about the the belt system that you like because that's I feel like a belt system is kind of pretty unique to jiu-jitsu. Like, obviously, they have it in other martial arts, but is there something in, in particular that you like about the belt system? What I like about the belt system is how much it carries over to life in other circumstances, in other areas. Like, for whatever reason, when you say you're a white belt, it has, like, everyone knows what that means. It means you're a beginner. It means you don't know what you're talking about. When you say you're a black belt, like, everyone knows what that means. It means, like, you're a master at it. And I like having these levels, and it's actually something I've started to incorporate with a lot of my clients and uh, a lot of what I do in fitness is I sort of award these belts. And so, like, if someone joins my program, I'm like, cool, you are now a white belt. If you do this consistently for the next 90 days, you'll be a white belt with one stripe. And so it gives them something to look forward to, something to be more consistent with. And, mm-hmm. and even some, one of the things I really liked, and I'm, I'm sure they have this all over, it's not just Henzo's, but you have your attendance card, right? And every time you go in, you get the check if you actually like attend class. A lot of people, one of the reasons they screw up with their nutrition is because they think they're being consistent. They think they're hitting their calories. They think they're getting their protein. They think they're doing their workouts. But if you actually track their consistency, they're like, 40 maybe 50 percent consistent and i like having that attendance card because uh, the the professors all tell stories of how like someone will be like why haven't i been promoted yet and they'll be like get me your attendance card they'll look at the attendance card they've been like you've been here four times in the last two months it's like of course you haven't been so it's very black and white it's like you've either done it or you haven't so i like the belt system and i like that consistency tracker because you can see very clearly you're either doing it or you're not so what belt in fitness is gary v (laughs) i would say gary is a he's a two-stripe blue belt wow (laughs) (laughs) when am i gonna get promoted sorry i I, I was waiting i was like when am i gonna get my opportunity to go (laughs) pardon my language but when the fuck am i gonna get promoted (laughs) my blue belt belt, three stripes Okay. Hey, Jake Watson, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. No, but um, that's very interesting that you that you. I feel like a lot of people when they start jujitsu, they start doing that. I'll be like, hey man, like I'm a I'm a blue belt at this kind of thing, you know? Or they'll they'll even relate <laughs> yeah, other areas of their jujitsu. <laughs> yes, yes. So my my professor Andre used to say, Jake, you got a green belt back when I was 14. You have a green belt guard, but you have a clear belt top game. And I'd be like, what does that even mean? I don't understand. I'm a green belt. And now I get it, like, way later. I was like, oh, he meant that I suck. At, like, I don't do jiu-jitsu <laughs> on top, and I it was good on bottom. Um, How so did that's you really start interesting. jiu-jitsu so young? How did you start at such a young age? <clears throat> oh, man. I uh, So I was 8 until 12. I did taekwondo. And then I met a kid at my academy named Clayton Carpenter, who I competed against in a tournament. I only did jiu-jitsu one day a week at this karate academy. And then uh, Andre moved from Kansas, and... 
when he moved from Kansas, I was already at Ken Shamrock's Lions then in Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. And he came and he took over as coach. And I hated Andre. And then, but he was my coach. You know what I mean? And then he became like a father figure to me. And uh, yeah, I've been doing it for, I'm 22. So I've been doing it for the last 10 years. And uh, did, your, did your parents get you involved in it? Like, how did that start? So my, uh, I actually wanted to do, I watched UFC 65. Do you remember UFC, uh, when George St. Pierre head kicked Matt Hughes? Yeah. That was like my first, I, cause I was originally uh, from Colorado and we moved to look for a better living situation in Arizona. And I remember we were at our aunt and uncle's house and we were watching that fight. And I was like, Oh my, Oh my gosh, I, we need to do that. I want to do that. <laughs> so my dad put me in Taekwondo cause he's like, I'm not going to get my kid kicking somebody in the face or getting kicked in the face <laughs> at, at eight years old. But eventually I did get kicked in the face in Taekwondo. So I, uh, <laughs> I did Taekwondo. And I, I actually, when I, funny story for you, Jordan, you're going to think this is funny probably, but when I was 14 years old, I, uh, I pulled my groin doing a body weight lunge that week. (laughs) I was so weak. Actually I had, I, and I still like, like weightlifting for me, you said that you lifted four times your body weight. That is like a freaking, like like a a fantasy (laughs) for me. Right. Because it's like, I deadlift like 330. I'm 190. So, and that's like it, like I got to really, I got to start thinking about anime sequences in my head before I, <laughs> before I lift, like I really got to get in there in the zone. But when I was young, I couldn't I'd do anything. So I, Andre was like the best instructor cause I only had a guard. I couldn't pass. I physically could not like, I was not strong enough to do anything. And, uh, so jujitsu for me started that way. My parents were just like, my mom was horrified that I wanted to do MMA. Like I said, I fought on Indian reservations and all sorts of crazy garbage <laughs> and I was cutting weight. Like, dude, it's. Is, this should be in like a film uh, about don't do this to your kids, but uh, <laughs> it's awareness film. Yeah, my parents didn't really get me involved in it. That's actually a good question. Segue into it. How did you get involved in jujitsu? Well, so I mean, I started with wrestling. Just wrestling was like that's all I thought about and care. It was just wrestling in girls for the yeah. majority of my youth. Yeah. And then um, there were there was a taekwondo studio in my town called Giorgio's and there were a couple people who went there and they said they did jujitsu and the first I think the first exposure that I really got to jujitsu was Kenny Florian oh Oh, wow he was my favorite fighter for a long time he was my favorite and like I just watched him and like he was from the Boston area and I grew up in Boston so I like had that connection with him and I was like man and so when someone in high school told me they're doing jujitsu I was like oh Kenny Florian does jujitsu and so then I went there I took a couple classes but I literally a couple classes. That was it. I didn't learn much at all. And I was just like all focused on wrestling. Um, for whatever reason, I was like, I don't want to wear this gi. And then I <laughs> went back to wrestling. Um, and uh, then I, I took a couple years off and I was all in powerlifting. Then when I graduated college, I actually went to Kenny Florian's gym. I moved back to Boston. I went to Kenny Florian's gym and I trained there for a while. Um, and it was I – w- I had – I just spoke about how I have zero ego. This was when I had the most ego you could ever imagine in the world. <laughs> but I went to Kenny Florian's gym and I walked in and I vividly remember I was such a little shit. I vividly remember going in and, and they were like, have you ever done this before? I was like, no, but like I wrestled for a long time. So like, I don't want to do the beginner class. And like, I, I think about that now and I want to punch myself in the teeth. <laughs> like, just like, such a stupid thing to say so they were like yeah cool so so i went into the advanced class and i just got my ass whooped i remember like i got neck cranked the first day and i literally i was with my ex-girlfriend like every morning i woke up i had to put my hand behind my head to get out of bed every day like till like i got neck cranked bad and i did that for like 
I don't know, a few months. And then I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this. Like I can't, my neck was just getting cranked over and over and over again. And, uh, and that was it. And then, then I just kept powerlifting, kept powerlifting. And then it wasn't until about a year ago that I got back into it. And, you know, I'm, I'm 29 now. And, uh, at this point, like I would, I would like to be in it until I get my black belt. Like, I'm just like, I'm so upset. Like, and I, I don't say that lightly. Cause when I say I want to do something, like I really, I tend to stick with it. Like I stuck with the four times bodyweight deadlift for like almost 10 years. Like I was like, I want to train at West side. I'm going to go to West side. I want to coach Gary, coach Gary. Like I'm very invested in this process and knowing that 10, 12, 15 years, it could take a really long time. And I'm very excited about it. Yeah. 27th degree black button drinking coffee doesn't come <laughs> like overnight. Doesn't come easy at all. <laughs> I'm a freaking white belt. So, um, but that man, that's so, that's so, I feel, I feel like more people need to hear that too. Is like, like you, this is coming from the perspective you're, you're actually, uh, the first white belt we have interviewed on, on, uh, on our show. It's a huge and honor, huge honor it, for me. It's a huge honor for <laughs> yeah. us. It's a huge honor for us, really, because it, this is an interesting perspective from someone like starting jujitsu, and I mean you're starting at a great place, but it's just like coming to think of like it, it makes me rush back to like when I started. Like when I started, all I cared about was winning everything, and my ego didn't go away until way later. My <laughs> ego didn't go away until I was like early brown belt, and I thought. <laughs> wow, I'm really not that good at this. Like I really need to, I need to calm down because I think I'm better than I am. It's interesting. Like I, I now want to punch young me in the face for, <laughs> for being how I was. And it took my professor telling me to not have an ego to actually listen, you know, but it's, it's cool to hear your experiences about, you know, revolving around the sport. Yeah, I love it. I, I really enjoy it. So I think it's a, it's a huge blessing to be able to do it and, and just to be involved with it. I think it's helped me in many, many ways. Yeah, another one of my favorite things about jiu-jitsu is, and you've had experience with this already, is like you can walk into an academy and you can train with Kenny Florian. You can train with Gordon Ryan or Gary Tonin or whatever on like pretty much your first day. So like from a coaching perspective, I think like sometimes some people like get inspired by that and some people kind of see like how big of a gap there is in skill and it's mm -hmm. kind of like demoralizing especially if they're training with these people like consistently so do you have any advice for people who maybe start like like they didn't start when they were 12 maybe they started in their 20s or 30s or 40s and like they're they're having trouble like getting motivated and setting goals that are specific to them yeah man, i mean i'll be very honest i actually haven't told anybody this but i'll i'll, I'll say it here because if it helps anyone then great um so i mean i have my wrestling background I like as much as I can say, like my ego is zero. Like everyone has some ego, right? Yeah. It's always there. I yep. mean, there were times, especially earlier on, but even now, like there was times that I vividly remember in the first three to four months of training when I would go against even so I, I will never forget this. I was going up against a blue belt and I was like a one stripe white belt. And all he did was hold me inside control. And it wasn't that tight. It wasn't like he was cross facing me super hard. Like it was just, I couldn't get out. I couldn't move. I literally couldn't move. And he wasn't like a, a big name fighter. He was a blue belt. And he, I remember he was like, you have to try and get out. I was like, dude, I am trying to get out. And like, it was almost to the point of like, in my head, I was like, dude, I, I can't remember the last time I cried. I literally wanted to cry because in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm a wrestler. I can get out. No big problem. But here's this blue belt who's holding me here and I can't do anything. And it's one of those things where in the moment, 
you just feel completely powerless and helpless. Like you can't do anything. And I could see why many people in that situation would quit because like, well, fuck that. But for whatever reason, my mentality was, man, I can't let this be where I stop. Like I can't let this, like, even if I can never beat this person, I know I have so much room to improve. So for me, like if, if there's one thing that I could tell anybody and listen, again, I'm a four stripe white belt. I'm not good. All I could say is like, don't let the fact that someone else is way better than you prevent you from keep going and trying to get better. It's like, cause from what I've heard from you and from, from everybody in jujitsu is there's always going to be someone better than you always going to be someone better for you. And there's yeah. always more to learn. And, uh, if you're doing something wrong or if you're not having a good day, it's like, it's a good thing. Cause it means the next time you can come back and get better and better and better. Jake, do you feel like, uh, since you're coaching a lot of students and a lot of, uh, beginners like white and blue belts, do you feel like a lot of your students struggle with that too? Like kind of finding like purpose and being able to set like realistic goals and not hold themselves to too high of a standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I feel like that's something that a lot of people, because everybody starts something with an, with like a goal. I feel like everything you do, you have a goal behind it usually. And, uh, one thing I noticed when I like coach is I start coaching. It was hard for me to, to separate my expectation of myself and how I see jujitsu with other people's. Not everyone's there to go compete all the time. Some people are there literally just because they like it and they just want to do it. Some people don't even want to roll. They just want to do technique. And I feel like one thing as a coach that I've, that I've really tried to do is to understand my students individually and be, because everybody's there for different reasons. And a lot of people are even there for just like a family and a family environment. And I think that a lot of people are, would benefit from hearing uh, what you just said because, man, you want to compete in Pan Ams. Is this your? This isn't your first tournament, right? Or yeah, it? it's it's my first Ooh, jiu-jitsu tournament. Your yeah. first jiu-jitsu tournament. Well, you picked that's a awesome. good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. No, it's awesome. It, you honestly, yeah. and I, I'm not saying that's not sarcastic. It's actually an amazing experience competing at Pan Ams. It used to be, I'm, you know, it used to be in, in California. Yeah. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19. Uh, California being weird, can't go there. So, <laughs> shout out to everybody we love from California. It's just, <laughs> it's not you, it's the state. But, um, I think that you know, and one cool thing I don't know if maybe you've noticed this with some of your peers you train around. Even you competing may inspire somebody to compete. You know what I mean? Competition isn't the only thing that jujitsu revolves around. Uh, so I feel like you know, as long as you can, I, I, me as a coach, as long as I can identify what my students are trying to get out of jujitsu, I can properly apply that but something i struggled with and then hopefully that answered your question um something that i struggled with was like not reminding myself not everyone is there to compete and to win tournaments some people are there just to because they love jujitsu which are both equally beautiful yeah i hope i answered that correctly no yeah yeah no you definitely did probably just (laughs) talked i probably just talked a lot (laughs) no you're good you definitely (laughs) answered it (laughs) So Jake, did you have any uh, any more questions for Jordan before we wrap this up? Uh, okay. This is not like a que- This is a question for me. So what? <laughs> no question for me. Question for me. And I, because I love this. I love when people start jujitsu. I instantly get so excited because it's like another person doing what I love. You know what I mean? Um, and I and I have goals and uh, a legacy I want to leave behind where I can just make the world a better place through jujitsu. Um, are you? More prone to playing guard or passing? Which one do you prefer? Passing. Which one have I'm you found yet? Yeah, passing? All right, yeah. All right. Yeah. Big top game player. And it's which is like it makes sense from like standing position. I'm gonna try and take them down, yeah. get inside control, and then uh, I've really lo- I, I remember I, <laughs> I I saw a YouTube video from Marcelo Garcia where he did his north south choke, 
And ever since then, that's just like my favorite thing to go to side control north south. And then a lot of people aren't expecting the north south choke in the gi. Yeah. So just uh, that's what I've been liking a lot. Yeah, and I feel like your deadlift. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Go. No, I was gonna say like Marcelo always talks about how the north-south choke is just as effective as the rear naked choke if you do it right. But like no one does it, so it's like I always love when people like specialize in that choke. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out. Like every time I do it, I'm always learning a new way to get a, to. Actually, this is a good question. Let me ask you guys this: Like when you're doing a north-south choke, what grip would you use? Would you use like a gable grip? Like what would you do? I grab this grip. Okay. I grab here. So I can pull my arm through. It, it makes me realize the motion. Like this is the choking arm. Same thing for a lot of chokes, right? And for those of you listening to this podcast, sorry, you're not going to learn this exclusive open guard cast lesson. But for those of you on YouTube, <laughs> listen, like every choke, right? A lot of chokes I go here, like let's say it's a rear naked choke. I'm grabbing here for like the short version of the rear naked choke and here. For the choke, like with a guillotine, I put I close my fist. This is me because I feel like it makes you realize the connection between pulling your arm. North-south choke, their neck is here. So you have to pull your arm through. And I use this grip because, A, it's easier to make. I'm not rotating my arm into a different position. It Got puts it. my bicep in natural alignment. I would close my fist and grab it so I can pull it through and really squeeze it in tight. It just puts your body – I feel like it connects your brain to what motion you're trying to apply. Whereas this is more of like a here motion. I feel like you do this more when you make a gable grip. That makes sense. Cause I, I kept trying to do this and like I was fumbling to find the actual grip. Like it was hard mm. to get it tight. So, so just if this is the choking arm, I come in, come underneath and just pull that through. Yes. And also like for a guillotine, yeah. if you're doing a regular guillotine, I would do the same thing. Lift your elbow, do anything you can to close out. Think about every, every choke is the absence of space. You're trying to like ziplock bag, vacuum seal it. So any mm. space around that north south choke, if I if you can see light, if you can see my artificial bedroom in this choke, <laughs> right, then that's that's space that you don't need. Same thing for ankle lock, any joint manipulation. It, it's all about the lack of space because space mm. is wiggle room. So with every choke you do, Jordan, make sure that you have no space. That that north south choke better not have any air holes. Otherwise, that's an area you're not choking him. That makes 100% sense. Thank you. That helps a lot. Thank Can't you wait. so much. Send me an Instagram message telling me you choked somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, I've heard people talk to you about like trying to touch their shoulder to their fist to like close mm -hmm. off the space like as like a visual cue. Is mm -hmm. that something you've heard before for that choke too? I haven't heard it, but it makes sense. Uh, I feel like um, I came up with that Ziploc bag analogy. Like I was literally like I was just thinking about footlocks and I was thinking about why would a footlock be loose because I can wiggle. So that touching your shoulder to the chest, that is the absence of space. Look how – if you have good, uh, I don't know, elbow dorsiflexion, whatever. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> but um, <laughs> if I have the absence of space here, there's no room to breathe, right? So that's, <laughs> that's a good example. I would just think about it. Uh, however, whatever cue you need to uh, have in your head, it's all different for everybody. A lot of people do. I mean you see Mike and Musumeci, me. Uh, Luis Ponza, we all do different ankle locks. We all tap people out with ankle locks. So it's like you, whatever works for you. I just think that a universal way to think about chokes is do you have space? Eliminate that space. It should be like an anaconda. When anacondas suffocate things, it's not because they're going like, Ugh. they're going around and, and wrapping you. That's, you know, that's my two cents. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. Now, let me ask both of you. Oh, sorry. You were going to say something. Go for it. I was just going to say, I, oh. I was talking about your deadlift. If you're a top game player, 
uh, your deadlift is going to be beautiful for uh, the higher level you get. Because honestly, the most trouble I have is when people have a good deadlift on top. Like really? Ronaldo, dude, standing up guard pass. Like with sleeve grips and then they deadlift out of it. That type yeah. of thing. Yeah. You're going to stand yeah. up with a grip and you're going to, no one's going to break you down because you're dead. You deadlift. Fo- dude, you're fighting in your division. That is your, not even your warm up. That is like <laughs> the bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's funny. That's one of the biggest things I struggle with is like, if someone gets me in their closed guard, I can stand up no problem. But sometimes I just forget. Like, I just forget to stand up. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is that like, if someone, if I'm in someone's closed guard, that's like your first thing. You stand right up no matter what. 100%. Yeah. Especially in the key. Yeah. Think about this. And Danny, you can probably relate to this too. You're in, if you're in close guard on your knees, how many options does your opponent have? How many options do you know from close guard when your opponent's on the knees? A lot, right? Oh, a, yeah, a, yeah. Number, a number. Yeah, like, okay, you bottom. can get yeah. caught in a lot, right? If yeah. you're on top and you're on your knees, you're susceptible to attacks. If you're in, you've got close guard wrapped, your opponent's on the knees, you have arm bars, chokes, kimuras, kimura sweeps, scissor sweeps. As soon as they stand up, your options get cut. Like Got a lot, it. like like seventy yep. percent of the options from close guard are gone. You see like muscle sweep, you see them sit up and get a body lock, stuff like that. I'm a but that deadlift, that deadlift motion you just did, mm-hmm. limited their options. And then you Got can it. just push on the knee, open their guard, and it's safe because man, you would have to be grappling with a guy with uh, six legs to get triangled <laughs> from there, right? So <laughs> yep, think about that. And also like one thing I noticed from just teaching powerlifters and people who come from other sports. It's also fitting to fit your knowledge from powerlifting into how you can be strong in jujitsu. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, th- like the reason why you do j- the reason why or um, one thing I think about is jujitsu fighters do lifts to help their jujitsu. Lifters do jujitsu and should associate their lifts with it that they already do. Got you know? it. Yep. So like a dumbbell row, that is a pull. You're pulling and you're you're strong there. Use that motion and every time you like practice, try to associate your muscle groups with what you're practicing. You know, yeah, total sense. Yeah, yeah I always good. find that lifters are really good at jujitsu and they're able to like learn things fast because they know like what positions their body are strong in. Like where other people, they're not necessarily like they don't understand like the alignment of your joints and like how the different positions like impact your strength. So that's something I feel like lifters always come in with like an edge with. That makes sense. Let me, let me ask both of you, and I know you guys are busy, so I'll let you go. But no, you're good. You, if what is your each of your advice? first ever competition going in what would you think what do you think is the most important thing that i should know going to my first competition danny let you go first me first okay i'll I'll let danny go first (laughs) i think you should have like obviously a game plan which i'm sure you have training at henzo's but just play to your strengths and try to score first i feel like in especially in ibjjf matches the person who scores first they did like a study i think it was at the 2012 worlds but the person who scored first won 80 percent of the time Really? Because it's yeah, it's really tough. Like once you score first, especially in like a five or six minute match, the other person kind of has to take risks and open up and respond to to be able to open up and even the score. So I feel like if you can get ahead, and especially with your wrestling, like if you can get a takedown off the bat and just control the person, it's gonna be really hard to beat you. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. That's great advice. Yeah. So I got two advices. Two ad- advice. Two different <laughs> two pieces ones. of advice. <laughs> two pieces of advice. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, freaking English major over here. But um, okay. One, you do jujitsu because you love it. Okay, so remember to have fun. A competition mm-hmm. at its most 
than training in the gym. It's just adrenaline. You want to win. All of a sudden there's a prize. They're going hard. You're going hard. There's people watching. Your friends are there. The list goes on of why a tournament feels different, but it's still jujitsu and you still love it. So relax in that fact that you love jujitsu and go out there and really honestly enjoy the experience. Two, I would say set a standard, not an expectation. If you set a standard, because you can't, if you set an expectation, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, my stomach hurts the day of the competition. You can't control that sometimes. Sometimes you're just like, dude, I don't know why, but I don't feel good. I got sick, I, whatever, travel was bad. Don't set an expectation because an expectation is like, it's something there that if that doesn't happen, now it's like, oh man, I'm not having fun anymore. If you set a standard, hey, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to stick to my game plan. That is something you can control. So stay in what you can control. You're going to do great. If you set an expectation and stuff starts to happen, this, I'm just speaking from experience. I went to Pans. I competed against, you ever heard of Roberto Jimenez? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got my foot broke off by him, right? Because he, <laughs> I went there thinking, I'm going to win. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to I'm gonna win. I can beat him. I'm going to win. Instead of going out there, I'm going to stick to my game plan. I'm going to do what I know. I'm going to have fun. And every time I did my standard, every time I set a standard, I won. And I would do great or I would do great and I would lose, but I wouldn't be, feel bad about my performance. If I ever went in there thinking I'm going to do this and it's going to work out perfect and it didn't work out perfect, it would ruin my mood and it would ruin my tournament experience. So I would say first tournament, go out there, set a standard, have fun, listen to Danny O'Donnell, who is my <laughs> elder, who is an English major apparently, <laughs> also an Irish yeah, folk singer. That's great. I'm literally I'm gonna write all those uh, those down. Those were incredible. Thank you both so much. That was very very helpful. I mean, thank you. Sure. Uh, that's, yeah. It's always our pleasure, man. It was it was really exciting when when you said, "Hey, I got questions for you guys." I got like a jolt of energy. I was like, <laughs> man, because I mean, it's just it's really cool. Like I'm constantly reminded about how awesome it is to do this podcast. And um, I actually wanted to give a shout out. Last episode we talked about the Arizona community, and I left out so many names like Flavio Meta and, uh, and Megaton. And, and there's so many great people in Arizona. Uh, if you are in Arizona right now and you're listening to this, just know that we absolutely love you regardless of the gym you go to, regardless of if we've competed against you. It doesn't matter. We love you. And everybody listening is the, does, does jiu-jitsu or doesn't in general, we also love you. Um, I'm constantly reminded about how amazing it is to form relationships on a podcast. Uh, and we really like in the same way that you have this platform where you're changing people's lives, we want to have that platform too. So being able to talk to you and hear how excited and in love you are with our sport just makes us so happy. I hope you realize that it's like, it's actually insane. And it gives me like that. It makes me nostalgic about when I started jujitsu, you know? Yeah. So it's really, really, really cool, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you guys. Honestly, especially right now there's so much negativity around social media but doing stuff like this it's like it makes me realize how what a blessing it is that we have it and that we can get up and and connect over something like this so thank you for having me on please 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 let me know when it's live send me a link so i can share it to my yeah. instagram like i'd love for them to listen to it uh it's been a pleasure to say the least so thank you so much of course yeah. thank you again we really really appreciate your time and uh and yeah we hope hopefully we can get you back on one day after you win the pants <laughs> yes honestly hey are you gonna be there uh oh wait florida how long are you gonna be there for i'm gonna be there for a week I i'm not gonna go to florida for a day so i'm gonna be there for a week <laughs> oh dude i'm gonna be there for like four days so Let's i'm gonna go. be there Let's thursday i'm gonna yeah. be there thursday dude you I'm holding you to that. I'm buying you a beer. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when when, when we're done recording, Saturday I'll give you and my Sunday. What's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> up? Hell yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, on that happy note, Danny, do you have any more questions for our guest, Mr. Jordan Syed? 
No, that was pretty much it. We just, like we said, we just really appreciate your knowledge, and we know you have like so much to offer the jiu-jitsu community. So hopefully, people listen and they can consume more of your content and really just like change their life with your nutrition and fitness advice and use that to help better their jiu-jitsu. Thank you. I appreciate you guys a lot. And I am, are you, Danny, you're going to be there as well, right? You're going to be at Pants? I will not. I, I was planning yeah. on competing, but I had like a minor surgery on my gums that's still recovering. So got it. Okay. Gotta wait for that to heal. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to hang out with you, Jake and Danny at some point in the future for sure. Thank you both yeah. so much. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Wait, I got to do an ad real quick. I All right. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> In a world. I'm just kidding. So uh, <laughs> use our discount code uh, at open – or no, sorry. Use our discount code OpenGuardCast25 for 25% off election performance to get thick, mean, lean, swole. Will you deadlift four times your body weight? I can't guarantee that. But I would say your chances <laughs> are much bigger if you follow at Syatt Fitness, all lowercase, no spaces. Um, he was – he needs more followers. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he's great, and, and we we were so happy to have him on the show today. And uh, you can also text him for free workouts too. I just looked at that, so I will be texting that number. But um, for for free workouts, it won't make me it won't make me any thicker. Uh, immediately, I need to be consistent. Correct. I do need to be consistent, and I need to uh, eat McDonald's is what I gained from this. I need to eat McDonald's. <laughs> That's what I gained from this podcast. But thank you so much to Jordan. We want to thank our sponsors, Agro Brand, High Tier Photography, Chill Fit Cryo. <gasps> Maracaba BJJ and Marcio Andre Academy, and that is where I'm going to end. So, Jordan, thank you. Uh, God bless you, sir. Thank you so much. And Danny. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was episode 48 of the Open Guard Cast with Jordan Syatt, and we will see you guys in a couple days.